Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, our text this morning is verses 1 through 10. I want to just give you a word about what's ahead for my life and my family here in the near future. So thankful for the opportunity ahead of us to take this time of sabbatical and rest and uh, it will be starting today, and Lord willing, we'll be back uh, mid-August. Uh, I want you to know that um, the church so graciously uh, allowed uh, me to have a few weeks here for the sabbatical, and then I had a number of days stored up of vacation time that I had not used, so I'm taking that and putting that all together. And so that's kind of how it came to the, the, the number in which uh, weeks I'll be gone. So I didn't want you to think that the church just gave me the whole summer off. That's not the case. I am using vacation time uh, coupled with it. And so, so thankful for this opportunity. As things have been able to progress in the plans, um, it is going to be pretty full. Have left some strategic times in there for uh, just refreshment and refocus and uh, rest as well. But it looks like I'll have uh, an opportunity to go away with my wife for a while. Also, I'll be able to see my dad. He's 92 and uh, has had a number of health issues over the last year. And so I think I'm going to be able to see him twice uh, this summer. And I'm excited about that. And then some very intentional trips with my children. And so uh, as it does uh, shape up, it seems like, Lord willing, uh, it will be very strategic for our family. And so very thankful for the time. And uh, just so thankful for the text today that in God's providence, he brought us to this part. And if you would take your Bibles and and let's read together um, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It says there, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we have this miracle, and there were a number of miracles happening at this time by the apostles. In fact, in chapter 2, it says there in verse 43, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So... In the context here, as the church has now been established, 
these very early days, the gospel is powerful and it's going forth. There's a number of folks get, that are getting saved and added to the church. And there's these wonders and miracles that are happening through the apostles. And this is very strategic. These gifts were giving, given during this season of time when the church was in transition to authenticate the message. And so it's a very unique context in which we find this particular miracles and the miracles that were happening uh, during this season. But Luke picked this one out, out of all the many that it says here, and I think it gives us a perspective uh, that is very helpful on just general ministry as far as life is concerned. How do we view our everyday life in the local church and in the world in which God places us? And we have here that Peter and John, they were just going about their regular business. They were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And and believers at this time were still participating in synagogue worship, even though they, they did understand Jesus was the Messiah. But the transition happens in the book of Acts. But here at this particular point, they're still going to the synagogue for prayer. So they're about their regular day. And there's another man there that's about his regular day. This man who is lame. In fact, chapter 4 and verse 22 says that he had been lame since birth. So over 40 years, chapter 4 tells us that this man was paralyzed. And what would happen, they would carry him to this one particular gate at at the front of the temple where there would be a lot of people that would come through, a lot of traffic. And what he would do with his days, he would spend basically asking people for money. So Peter and John are about their everyday life. This man, who is lame, is about his everyday life. And yet we see here, in this moment, God doing something amazing. That last song spoke about the great I Am and the miracles, starting all the way back from creation and forward. And he still is working miraculous things in the lives of people today. Now, the gifts of healing and and these kinds of things, those have ceased. But we have here the principle in this text that really teaches us about what life should look like day in, day out, as we come across people that God brings to our path and how we should view them. And it's a simple story, but I think it has a very crucial understanding for us. Right after I came to know the Lord around age 18, I was given a book by a preacher. It was probably one of the greatest books ever given to me. And it was called On Being a Servant of God, and it was by Warren Wearsby. And the book was centered around this text. And and this book has served, I don't even know if it's still in print, but if it is, you should really grab a copy because it's so helpful. Uh, Just a lot of the comments in in my material this morning actually uh, comes from that book. And it's something that I learned uh, 25, almost 30 years ago, and, and it has been so helpful for me just to understand not just ministry from a position, because that's not really ministry. Now, I understand that people, men are called into full-time Christian service as far as pastoring and things like that. I understand that. Missions work. And some people say that, that they are called to full-time ministry. What I am speaking about today is more of the general sense that all believers should view their lives 
in regards to ministry for Jesus Christ. We are told we are to be disciplers. We are supposed to make disciples and help them understand all the scripture. And so that is our role as we go about our everyday duties. We are to be ministers for Jesus Christ. So I'm using that word minister in a very general sense today. And I think as we start from this text, I I think we'll understand just four basic thoughts about ministry in just everyday life in regards to how God can use us. Number one, I would suggest we must know the divine resources personally. Number two, we must see human needs compassionately. Number three, we then can become channels of God's mighty resources. It's God's power that works in us, and our love is what motivates us to become that channel of love and grace to other people, and we do this for the glory of God. So those are kind of the four big points for this morning. We'll kind of unpack those one at a time, starting with knowing divine resources personally. We must, right from the beginning, understand a very basic idea that God is the one who changes people. God is the one who has the resources to meet all human needs. Sometimes we have the wrong perspective about the world around us and those people that we interact with and those people that God sovereignly brings across our path We think it's kind of our responsibility to change them. And and we may not necessarily think about it in those terms, but sometimes we don't understand or, or choose to believe, you know what, it's just God working through me, so let me look to God and his grace and what he has available for me to then minister to this person that God has placed across my path. I would think that every single person here, and and I know that's a very broad statement, but there has to be some interaction. You're interacting here today if you're here. But we all have people that we come in contact with on a Sunday, throughout the week, whether it's through our devices or whether it's face-to-face. We have interaction with other people. Do we view those people as an opportunity to minister for Jesus Christ. Believers, unbelievers, do we view life in such a way, just everyday life? So you get up tomorrow morning, and instead of just your regular routine of what you go through, but you actually, maybe if you don't already, bring in the component of, God, actually you have a purpose for my life today. I'm not just going to be having a number of random interactions there is nothing random with the sovereign God, if you understand that. And, and so, God, as I interact with the world today, it may be one person, it may be a hundred people. Would you give me a heart to see them through your eyes and through the ability that you have to use me to minister to other people? It's really just that constant idea of living life on mission. Do we love the gospel and God's grace so much that we just regularly try to give it out no matter who we come in contact with? But we must understand, we must know, know, know. In our hearts, we believe God has all the resources to meet the human needs that are all around us. So the hardest of person in your life the one who you think is the farthest away from God and his reach, would you think correctly about that individual? He has 
the power to change them. He is the great I am, I am, and as the song says, he still is. And he wants to use us as broken and, and, and messed up as we can be. He wants to use us for his glory in other people's lives. And so if we understand that correctly, that God has all the resources... The point made here in this book is that we don't have to manufacture anything. We are actually just distributors. And it really takes the pressure off us, uh, off us because if we think we have to come up with something inside of us to change people, that's a lot of pressure. It's pressure that we shouldn't take on, and it's really not even true. We, we don't have it in and of ourselves. God is the one who has all the resources. So many times we think we are called to be manufacturers when we are actually called to be distributors. We're prone to depend on ourselves and have that manufacturer's mentality. And God says to us, you know what? I am fully capable. He is fully able to take care of the needs that are all around us. And notice in verse 3 there, When uh, the interaction takes place where Peter and John have come to the temple and then uh, this man is asking to receive alms. In verse 4, Peter along with John, notice this, they fixed his gaze on him. And he said, look look at us. And then in verse 6, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. So, we'll understand here from the text, what he had was the power of God to change a life. Which is the same thing that we have. We don't have to come up with it. We just have to give it out to other people. And it's so important that we realize that. We are prone to depend on ourselves. So many times... We depend on our own experiences, like, well, I've, I've had this discipleship opportunity, and I've won this person to the Lord, or I've even had some education, some training. I, I've taken this class on this thing, or this counseling situation. I have all of this talent. I even have some money. What I think we need to understand is what people really need is the grace of God. And that, the Scripture tells us, that, that we have it in and abundance. So what are the divine resources? I would say grace. What are the divine resources? Well, here's a few passages for you just to kind of think through. John 1, 16 and 17 says that we have in Christ been given grace upon grace. Ephesians 1, 5 through 8. Ephesians 2, uh, 2, 7 says that there is this super abundant grace in Jesus Christ. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, it says, from Paul's perspective of ministry, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He understood where the power came from. It was only the grace of God that allowed him to minister and labor for, for Christ. It was nothing that he had to manufacture. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I. And look at this. Make sure you understand. But the grace of God in me. That is the resource we have to serve Jesus Christ. It's the grace that came in salvation and continues to sustain us and empower us 
to fulfill the responsibilities and service that God sovereignly brings across our path. Know the divine resources personally. It doesn't have to be you. In fact, it can't be you. It's only the grace of God working out in our lives. The second component of all of this idea of ministry is that we must see human needs compassionately. We must help build lives. You and I, we all know the world is broken. Almost every system, from the foster care system to, to, and I'm not going to even be able to name them all, so I'll probably stop there, but every system that is earthbound, it is broken. Why? Because it's run by people. Broken people. So we will not ever find a perfect place until we get to heaven. And with that comes all kinds of human need. It's all around us. But we have to have eyes to see. It's interesting that, that as Peter was walking into the temple, the man, the, the man begging didn't even ask Peter for the alms or for the, for the money. Peter looked at him and he specifically said, look at us. He set his gaze on him. How many times when we go about our everyday life do we set our gaze on people? Or are we so busy running to our next thing, our next appointment, our next phone call, our next responsibility, our next sporting event, and I could go on and on. But do we live life day in, day out with our eyes open, motivated by the love of Christ and compassion to actually see the needs that are right in front of us? Peter sets a great example of this. He fixed his eyes on the man. He said, look at us. I don't have what you think you need, but I actually have what you absolutely need. See, so many times people don't really even understand where they are and what their needs are. But we know from a gospel-centered perspective, their need, it's always a need of the heart. It's always Jesus. And we have that grace to give them. So we must be faithful. We react to human needs many times in ways that don't please the Lord. Sometimes we're, we're blind to them. Maybe we're just so busy we go about and we don't really zero in. As Peter, we don't fix our gaze on people. And, and that really that can be a form of selfishness where our world is so caught up in what we have going on that we miss what actually God has going on all around us. So we can be blind to them. We can know about the needs and do nothing. We have an example in Scripture where, where Jesus explained about this story uh, where there was a man in need who had been robbed and beaten. And then you have these people who came by his path and, and saw the need, but ignored the need. And then you have what was referred to as the Good Samaritan, the one who could not only meet the need, but, but took the time to, to fix his eyes on the person. So we can be blind to it, or we can be just really selfish 
and know about it and do nothing. Sometimes we can take advantage of people and their needs to benefit ourselves. Is that not what the Pharisees did? They used people. They were in leadership, but they were there using people for what they could get out of it, their own pride and their selfishness, even their finances. So sometimes we, we actually are motivated out of really selfish ambition and things that are totally wrong when we even go about helping people. Maybe it's just we love the accolades. And so we can have a really good story. We, we help someone or we, we do something for someone. And, and, and really our heart is like, wow, I can't wait to tell everybody about this cool experience because it makes me feel good when I actually get some accolades or attaboys because I've done something, quote-unquote, good. So we have to be very careful that as we look at our hearts, that, that we don't serve Jesus because we think that everyone deserves what, what, how great we are. We serve Jesus because he is great. So when we look at the world around us and the ministry opportunities that people have, some folks will be going on short-term mission trips this summer, some will be working at camps, some will just be about their everyday life. And this attitude is what we must adopt. If it's not there already, we must fix our eyes compassionately because we know that God actually can do something in their life. God can meet their needs. The scripture tells us that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And we are told to follow in his steps. So we must continue to, to put our selfishness aside when it's tempting to think that the world is about us and everything we have going on in our family and see that God actually has us in every situation. He has us there for a purpose and he actually can use us to accomplish really, really great things in other people's lives. But we must see them clearly. What is man's basic need? They need to be rightly related to God. Scripture tells us, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short. So they, there is this huge problem in every man's heart. And we have the answers. We have Jesus. And so at the very basic starting point, we need to communicate to every person that God brings across our path, there is an answer to your need. They may not even understand fully. But in grace and love, we care and we, we, we shepherd their heart to... to Perhaps maybe an understanding of, oh, wow, there is something wrong with, that's, that's what's wrong with my heart. That's why I'm never satisfied, because I, I have never really found the one, as we talked about last week, the living well, who brings eternal life, eternal water. Man's basic need is to be rightly related to God. There is a difference between humanitarianism and ministry. And I am speaking specifically about ministry today. Sometimes it's great to help people and their needs, and, and, and sometimes the two connect. My daughter and I will have the opportunity, Lord willing, to go to Mexico in Jude and Jude and work in an orphanage. And so there will be times when we will be meeting human needs, but the goal behind that is to communicate that God can meet their, their most important need, the need of their heart. And that's where we all are. 
we all have things in our lives that only God can take care of. Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians, I love this passage, and it's hopefully maybe even a little outline for you to think about. It says, We urge you, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, to admonish the unruly. That idea there is to counsel those who are out of step. To encourage the faint-hearted. Push from alongside, perhaps. To help the weak. Hold them up when they are weak in their faith and don't feel like they can stand. And then the last part is be patient with everyone. It's a faith that endures. This is one of my life ministry passages because it kind of characterizes and puts in categories. When you interact with people, you kind of try to discern where are they. Is this someone who, who needs to be admonished and, and someone who, who truth needs to be spoken into their life and say, hey, there's an area here. Let me help you come alongside in love and grace and, and point you to truth. Sometimes there are those who they're just so faint-hearted and, and, and they're weary because of the, the brokenness of life and the, the difficulties of circumstances and the trials that come and you're just there to keep pushing them along, but push, pushing them along from the side and just being that constant care and, and friend and voice. But then there are those who go through seasons of times of valleys of questioning faith and real struggle and, and you literally are there to just help them stand. When they can't. And if you've worked with people for any length of time, you understand that last point that it takes a lot of patience. See, we want people to change on our timetable, but God works on His timetable. And so we must be faithful to stay with people. We don't give up on them, we don't get to the point where it's like, you know what? You've blown it so many times, I, I'm done, I'm out. Someone else can take this from here. No, we stay in it. We stay faithful. We can't do everything, but we certainly can do something. So as you evaluate your everyday routine and schedule, are you doing anything, ministry purposes, for the Lord? And I'm sure everyone here, I hope everyone here would say yes. On some level I am. But let me spur you on to love and good works this summer. Sometimes we look at summer like, oh, it's a break. It's a, you know, but actually, that should not be the case for a believer. Yes, schedules change and things, you have different experiences. But our life on mission stays exactly the same. We must think clearly about other people. I read this in a book called Trellis and the Vine. I thought it was helpful just for where we are. We've been talking about local church and the importance of people getting involved and seeing the needs. It says here, Imagine a reasonably solid Christian said to you after church on Sunday morning, Look, I'd like to get more involved here and make a contribution, but I feel like there's nothing for me to do. I'm not on the inside, and I don't get asked to be on the committees or lead Bible studies, so what can I do? The author goes on to say, This is how we are used to thinking about involvement of church members in congregational life. We think of them in terms of jobs and roles. So I can be an usher, I can be a Bible study leader, I can be a Sunday school teacher, I can be a treasurer, I can be an elder, I can be a musician, I can be a money counter. 
The implication of this way of thinking for congregation members is clear. If all the jobs and roles are taken, there's nothing more for me to do in this church. I'm reduced to just being a passenger. I'll just wait until I'm asked to do something. The implication for the pastoral staff is similar. Getting people involved and active means finding a job for them to do. In fact, many of the church gurus say giving someone a job to do within the first six months of joining a church is vital for them to feel like they belong. And I understand that. And we have a lot of holes. I talked about children's ministry last week. And by the way, we still have some holes there. But just trying to keep that plug you know, in there. But this is, this is I think, the, the, the more fundamental idea that motivates all this. However, if the real work of God is people work, the power for speaking of the word by one person to another, then the jobs are never all taken. I hope you got that. The opportunities for Christians to minister personally are limitless. So you could pause and reply to your friend. See that guy sitting over there on his own? That's Julie's husband. He's kind of on the fringe of things here. In fact, I'm really not sure whether he's actually a believer or not. How about you introduce yourself to him, arrange a breakfast, and maybe start studying the Bible together? Or you see the couple over there. They are both fairly recent converts. They're really in need of some encouragement and mentoring. Why don't, you have, why don't you and your wife have them over, get to know them, and read and pray with them once a month? And if you still have time and want to contribute to some more, start praying for people in your street. And invite them to a barbecue at your house. He goes on to, on to explain. Look, if we viewed ministry this way, not as jobs or positions, if we viewed ministries like There's a person breathing in your path. Get involved in their life. If there is someone in your path, serve them. You don't need a job to serve Jesus. Within the local church and outside the local church. There are hundreds of people here today with hundreds of needs. And you won't ever know what those needs are unless you get past yourself and go up to someone and talk to them. And go past the surface level and go to their heart and say, how can I pray for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Are you doing okay? Now, they may shut you down and they may not want to go there. But go to the next person. At least do something. So many times as believers, we get so caught up in our own lives and our selfishness that we rarely see the person that's right under our nose and we certainly don't fix our gaze on them and we certainly don't get to the point where it's like, look at me, I have what you need. But that's really how God calls us to live. And we must do that. Motivated by love. Our ministry must be motivated by, by love. First Corinthians first, uh, 13, first three verses say, you can have all the knowledge in the world, you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't have love, it's like, I think King James, just those gongs, those, those loud sounds. It's not helpful in that moment. If we don't have love, then this activity is really useless. We must become channels. John 13, 35 says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So, do the people in your world, do they know that you're a believer? Not because you have said it to them, not because they know that you attend a church, but because you actually love them. That's what Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for people. Loving others is not an option for a Christian. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 and 19, they say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves, he has been born of God and knows God. So if you love from a godly perspective, it brings assurance from 1 John. It brings assurance that, you know what, God has worked in my heart, and he's working through my heart. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ actually controls us. So we become these channels of grace. God has the resources. We know them personally. God's worked in our lives. We know that grace changes lives. We actually have our eyes open enough to see the needs that are right in front of us. And we become loving channels We put our selfishness aside, and we love people. And why do we do this? The aim of true Christian ministry is the glory of God. That is the aim. Do we take the time out of our everyday lives to just meet other people's needs? For God's glory. Jesus said in John 4, my food, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That was his nourishment. I would think that falls under everyday life. God is glorified when people see the Lord and not the servant. So it's not about you. This is what what happens. Satan wants us to depend on our flesh to magnify ourselves and seek glory. That's what Satan wants. He doesn't want us to rely upon the grace of God. He wants us to be motivated for the wrong reasons. But yet, we understand we can choose to to go through this process of ministry for the right reasons. It's not about personal gain. It's not about authority in people's lives or control, any kind of manipulation. It's not about recognition. If you're in it for the applause of the one who you're trying to help, or you're in it for the applause of people. I love it. It'll be next week's passage, Lord willing, chapter 3, there in in verse 12. Uh, Peter says this, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we have made him walk? I love that. Peter quickly corrected anyone's thoughts. Don't look at us. Look at him. That is how we minister. It is not about a personality. It's not about a person. In the local church, it's about people. It's about the church, the bride of Christ. It's about the group. I'm stepping out for a little bit. It should have no effect on this congregation. 
if a healthy church does not see that, then, then we have issues, we have problems. It's about God's people ministering to each other the grace of God that is available. It is never about a person. From an earth perspective, it is always about Jesus Christ. Always. It is for his glory and his glory alone. It's not about our talent. Who cares? It's about Christ in us. The motivation and measurement for ministry, we say it regularly, it's the glory of God. Jesus is the ultimate example of God-centered ministry. We see that in John 4, John 17. He said, I glorified you on earth. I did the work that you sent me here to do. That's how we glorify our God. So, as we understand, being God-centered means that we will live to do his will and we will glorify him to do by doing the work that he has called us to do. You say, what work? The people work. The person sitting next to you. The person who you'll pass as you leave here. The person who God will lay on your heart this week for you to reach out to. The person next to you at work or on your phone call. The possibilities are endless. And we must view people through the lens of ministry. Everyone is in the ministry. All of us. Now remember, I'm talking generally. I understand there's a different distinction. But as this text here describes interacting with others, meeting people's needs, and this is the definition that Warren Wiersbe uses. Let me go back, sorry. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. I strongly encourage you to memorize that. I memorized it at 18. And it has been so helpful for almost 30 years now. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Do you view your everyday life through this type of grid? I suggest we should. The possibilities are endless, and you cannot meet them all. And there's a healthy balance. But we can do something. And so many times, our selfishness and our pride hinder us from just doing something. It's always about the grace of God. It's always because of the love of God. And it's always because God is to be glorified. Always. Would you bow with me as we take a moment of quiet response? It's my prayer that this summer, God's people will truly minister to each other. With the extra time, perhaps, that you have, school schedules are a little different. In between the trips and the fun moments, 
would you intentionally try to serve others for the glory of God? Would you take a moment and just maybe do some personal evaluation? Where, I, where am I in this grid of thinking? Where, do I view my everyday routine and schedule like this? And where you don't, would you choose to correct your thinking and, and put on the heart that wants to live like this? God is still great I am and he's still changing lives. And he wants to use us in the process. Lord God, as we take these moments on a Sunday morning to nourish our souls on your word, God, I pray that you would help us to not only hear these things and maybe even give acknowledgement to them and agreement to them, but then leave them aside in our everyday lives and routine. I pray that we would implement them into the world in which we live day in, day out. I pray that we would put aside our selfishness and our pride and we would strive for your glory to give out your grace because you have loved us. Jesus, thank you for using us, even in spite of us. It's for your glory and your glory alone. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.